Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. We are currently accepting submissions for our summer edition and are waiving the $5 submittal fee. The deadline to submit your works is May 28, 2021. After the reading, please join me and co-host Melissa Collings when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Today, we have three poems, Big, The Elusive Avocado, and A Warm Spell in Late February, written by Francis Fernandez and narrated by Francis Fernandez. Settle in and enjoy. Big. There's an elephant in the room. It's actually quite small and glassy, nestled by the window between the potted palms and the essential oil diffuser. The fine mist from the diffuser keeps the leaves moisturized in these cold, dry months. When I glance over there, it stands out. The elephant, I mean. Not ponderously, but with a shimmer, especially when bathed in the light of the diffuser. Like the ghost of a distant star that had its day in what is probably now some fading corner of the universe. It was almost a year ago that my daughter gave me the plastic 3D puzzle. It took me forever to assemble it, piece by tiny piece. But forever is skewed with subjectivity, whereas the terms shared custody and far away are measurable. Some words are big, and there's no getting around them. They are good at lumbering and thundering through the world. Atomized into vapor, their particles spin furiously around the spiral galaxy inside your head. Get over it, they tell you. I remember when I held it in my hands and fiddled with the individual pieces, ignoring the step-by-step instructions how she watched me with a sparkling concentration, willing me to find the right connections and complete the structure. We placed it by the luxuriant palms because that's where it seemed to belong. This poem has an epigraph. The Canadians were being very, very loud. It was something the Russians were not exposed to. They were in a closed society. They were looking at our fans and thinking, what's the matter with those people? We had a gentleman who would play the trumpet. I think they threw him in jail. Marcel Dion, reserve player, Team Canada, 1972. The Elusive Avocado 
I plan to watch the final game of that 72 series tonight, Canada against the Soviets. So I need one that's just right for the guacamole. When I dunk my sweet potato fries, I don't want to be distracted while my eyes follow the puck. Once, as a player, my stick got stuck in the netting behind our own goal, and the other team scored while I was still trying to free it. The coach was merciless and benched me for the rest of the game. A stocky middle aged woman stands exactly ten feet to my left, eyeing me curiously. She does it in that quasi disapproving manner, the one Germans have perfected since the days Napoleon ransacked their towns on his way to his own great disappointment in Russia. She stares as though her body language were something internal, like Schopenhauer's moods, or maybe even Schrodinger's cat. We might all be wearing surgical masks, but I can pick up on these details. I've lived here long enough. Plus, I'm half German myself, which gives me an advantage when jockeying for perspective. I'm still fondling the dark green knobby fruit, determined to find and claim the right one for my little feast. Her patience seems to run out. She raises a latexed hand and flourishes it at me, asking with a tad muffled indignation. Müssen Sie alle anfassen? What am I supposed to say? How can I find the perfect one without touching them? I move an inch closer to her. She gasps and drops the turnip she was holding. Then she takes a quick step back. When I bend down to retrieve the innocent rutabaga thing, she slides further away. I just wanted to show her. How hard my avocado was. But now it feels like a dance of sorts, a greengrocer's fandango fueled by terror of invisible things, not to mention my goal to create a sublime dip. A dance, I say, involving two keenly discerning shoppers and a bunch of produce that certainly aren't getting the credit they deserve. So instead of responding, I turn back to my brothers. And think of that Texas Tornadoes song about someone reaching for a pepper and someone else grabbing a tomato. I'm humming the tune when it suddenly dawns on me the referee in those final games in '72, with both teams performing their own unforgettable rough and tumble tango, was a German who made some very questionable calls. All in favor of the Soviets, of course. But I don't want that to spoil my day. We know who wins in the end. The most exciting clash on ice calls for tenderness in a time of Cold War angst. I want to make peace with a world that is slightly stir crazy and bored. I want to go home and make my guacamole. So as my fellow shopper disappears down the canned goods aisle with her noisy cart, I go on rifling through the bin, trying to coax the right one out with the gentle words, Wo bist du, mein lieber Freund?
A warm spell in late February woos me out of the house, along with Thelonious Monk and his straight No Chaser album. And I have to think of the time my teenage daughter wisecracked. How can he be the loneliest monk if he plays in a quartet? Last weekend was so cold we took running starts and glided on strips of ice. In these very fields where today they throw frisbees and run around in shorts and t-shirts. She isn't here now. That's plain to see. But she would have appreciated the double take. This startling change of regalia in our midst even if she does find it increasingly hard to get her head out of those anime and manga worlds. The sun is warm on my cheeks as the peace Japanese folk song hits full stride. The piece goes on for over sixteen minutes. The man's odd time stuttering bobs with a far east swing, like a bunch of brilliant balloons jostling in the sky while his bandmates enter one by one and do their thing. I go through the world with these headphones over my beanie cap, nodding to the changes, to the drawn-out rasping and wonderful chiming, as though paying homage to a season that is furiously out of sync. Time will pass, I know, and soon enough, I realize, she'll be there, saying something offbeat again, like a good jazz phrase, or like some renegade triangle soloist, gone all monk. You've just listened to three poems by Francis Fernandez, and we've got him on the show here today to talk about the poems and life in general. So welcome to the show, Francis. Well, thanks for the invitation, and um, I'm happy to be here and to uh, share some thoughts with you. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And we are joined by our co-host, Melissa Colling. So hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Hello. Very well. <laughs> Good. All right, Francis. Well, the first thing we like to do is, um, of course, we do want to dig into these pieces a little bit. But before we do that, can you give us some background about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I, I live in, um, in Europe in a city called Frankfurt. That's in Germany. And um, Frankfurt is famous as being the world's or, or hosting for hosting the world's biggest uh, book fair. I don't know if you knew that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did not. <laughs> well, I don't really have any connection with it. I, I've been to it a, a couple times, uh, more in the years that, um, after I first got here, but not, not so much recently. It was canceled mm -hmm. actually last year, the last mm -hmm. two years because of, well, you know what? Right. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Um, I teach uh, English as a second language to adult um, learners, professionals who uh, need English for their jobs. Yeah. Um, I came to Germany back in the 90s, the mid 90s, after uh, completing a bachelor's degree in math. So, yeah, that might sound a bit odd to some. I, I, I studied math. But after that, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it. So I started um, traveling. I spent a year in New Zealand before finally coming to Germany. And th there's one bit of information in one of the poems I, I mentioned that, uh, or the persona mentions, that he's half German. And that is my case as well. Mm -hmm. I'm, okay. I'm half German on my mother's side. My father comes from India. 
from Goa, India. That's, uh, that's why the name sounds Portuguese. Goa used to be uh, a Portuguese colony, was mm, for, for many years. But, but we never spoke any Portuguese or, or Cockney, which is the dialect in, in Goa, or, or German for that uh, matter, at home. So I grew up in this, um, yeah, I, I would say a little strange atmosphere. Um, we spoke only English and French. We learned French in school, Montreal being um, a French, a bilingual city. Mm -hmm. So we had English at home and French at school, and we were always aware of this otherness to um, our past, these other places in the world being uh, connected to us, but, but not really knowing the language. I think that cuts you off from the culture big time. So after my studies, I thought, okay, um, I'll go to Germany and uh, try to learn some German. And the wow. best way to do that for me was, was to start teaching English, which wasn't a problem. I went to one of those private, uh, international private schools here, and uh, they hired me on the spot. And yeah. uh, I've been working there ever since. That's, oh, that's fascinating. Great. Yeah. I can't believe you guys didn't speak different languages. Yeah, well... At home. Yeah. Um, I think I think the times were different then. Today, today it's uh, parents don't hesitate to yeah. speak um, several languages at home. Uh, one of my sisters lives in France, and uh, they have three languages going at the same time. Her husband is German. Um, so it's English, that. German, and French. But um, And I, I speak English with my daughter, and she speaks uh, German with her mother. So, but that back then, I guess, I don't know. Um, I think parents were a little more protective of us yeah. um, mm -hmm. f physically and psychologically. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I guess that could add to some of the otherness if you um, are speaking a different language also. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I was going to say, I lived in San Francisco right out of college, and uh, I knew, I worked with a woman who was from France, and she did the same thing that you do, and she loved it. I mean, she absolutely loved it. Yeah, and, and um, I guess the interesting thing is I never went back to math. My original plans were to continue with um, master's, to do a master's in education and become a, a math teacher, I guess, high school math teacher. But uh, I swapped that for um, teaching English to Germans. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. You never know what your calling is going to be. You can set out on one path. That's the fun of life, setting out on one path and finding yourself on another. Well, that's the thing because, I mean, I discovered a a whole bunch of things about myself. And uh, I realized also, I love teaching English, and uh, I seem to be good at it, um, judging from the reaction of my students and uh, the school. And so I've kept at it. And yeah, that's it. That's Great. terrific. We'll follow up to that question. So then how uh -huh. do you make time for your writing? Ah, yes. <laughs> that other side to my life. Well, pre Corona, uh, it wasn't easy. Because um, I've, I've always, as I, as I said, I've always loved teaching and um, I'm good at it. And um, I think there's a certain performative element in teaching that uh, demands a lot of creativity, uh, takes a lot of energy out of you. And so a lot of my creativity was expended in, in that way. And it didn't leave that very much time and energy for, for anything else. But when I first came to Germany, I mean, I was just... I guess, full of the travel bug. And uh, I started reading a lot of novels, coming of age novels. And so back in the 90s, I, I, I actually 
it's it's hard to believe sometimes when you look back in the past how much energy and how much uh, motivation you had. But back, <laughs> I, I actually tried writing a um, a novella, and oh, I, I had the first chapter of that published in a very obscure magazine in Montreal. Um, oh, that's great. Just the first chapter. Just the first chapter. Yeah, and and after that, I spent about two or three years writing a novel, a very bad novel, which. Um, <laughs> Well, it just, it helped me put things into perspective mostly, I suppose. Sometimes that's what writing does. Yeah. It gets you going. That's right. That's right. And, um, but over the years, I've always kept log books. I I guess my, my traveling around the world, traveling to New Zealand got me into the habit of, of keeping a log book. And over the years I've, and, and that combined with my reading, um, that habit kind of morphed into, um, yeah, I would say a more literary minded note taking. And, um, a lot of what I wrote, hmm. uh, inspired me to, to pay a little more attention to what I was actually doing in terms of the craft. And, yeah. um, I was very much inspired, uh, from my reading and, and from my work, meeting people and, and all this background in my life, the international side to our life uh, that kind of inspired me. And I, and I started writing, I guess you would call them poems, mm-hmm. but I didn't do very much with them. Yeah. And then suddenly Corona hit last year and um, I had a lot more time because our school put us on furlough, what they call furlough here, where you, you don't teach, but you get the, the state covers 50% of your, uh, your income, right. your salary. Mm-hmm. And um, so that left me with a lot of time on my hands. And, um, and, and that's when I, I went back to some old pieces. I took out those old log books and, um, I, I did it with a little, a lot more intent. And then I became aware of the fact that online there were a lot of, um, journals. Um, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I didn't know that back in the nineties when I, when I, uh, tried writing that novella and sent the first chapter off, it was still the old fashioned way, you know, the right, envelopes sure. and these S, um, S what do they, what, what do they call them? These, uh, self addressed, self stamped, um, Oh, S A S C. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it, yeah. it was just last year, uh, around this time in the spring that I discovered that you could do this all online. And I, it was just, um, I was, inundated with all of these journals and magazines and um and it was it was actually a lot of fun i started uh, submitting um i learned uh, how to do it properly and um yeah. and i was successful from the get-go i guess it was luck um for the most part um and some journals saw some something of value in what i wrote and i some of them got published and that 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 became the main motivator i suppose that's terrific my subsequent writing then yeah mm-hmm. it is. well are these poems that you um and melissa i'll let you jump in i'm sorry but are these poems that you gave to us were they ones that you you know dug up from the past or are they more recent they feel recent to me at least yeah two <laughs> yeah. two of them for sure but yeah, yeah well <laughs> the i guess the oldest one the 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 avocado one was back from la- last spring when when everything uh started and um i don't know this this whole corona business was strange for for everyone i yes, suppose it was. oh yeah mm-hmm. everywhere it, it doesn't matter where you live and um 
you just noticed some very strange things when you went out, when you went out shopping, people behaved strangely. Um, oh yeah. D whole different world. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that inspired me to, to write something last, last year. And so I, 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 I let it sit for a while and then I came back to it in the fall and worked on it some more. And, um, yeah, I guess I was fortunate enough to, to find you. Yeah. Well, thank you for finding us. We're yeah. really happy to have you on. So <laughs> I love that. But it looks like you've had a lot of different pieces published, which is congratulations. That's a big deal. Well, and most of it is poetry, right? Uh, most of it is poetry. There was one, one was kind of nonfiction, um, creative nonfiction. And another was, a, um, what do they call them? These um, short pieces, these... Um, flash fiction. Flash fiction, yes. Oh, exactly. These were all new terms for me. Yeah, that's great. To them. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like those pieces. So what's your, your favorite? Is it poetry or do you think you're going to step your toes into some other writing adventures? No, definitely, definitely poetry. I think it suits my, my lifestyle and um, my character and... Um, I don't know. It's just something I, I like the fact that you can, you can latch on to a phrase or to what someone says. You could be watching a film. I'm a big Wes Anderson film uh, fan. Do you know Wes Interesting. Anderson? Yeah. And just, or Jim Jarmusch. And, and, and if someone says something that, that I find uh, perplexing or um, I just, it just, I, I keep it somewhere inside me and I ruminate on it. it. And it's much easier for me to, to build on something like that. It doesn't have to be a set of words. It could be just a, an idea, a picture. And um, I just start building on it. It might start with one sentence. It might start with uh, a, a refrain or like in a hmm. song or a paragraph or, and most of the time I just let it, like I said earlier, I just let it sit and um, I come back to it and, um, I can I can tell after a while if if um, if an idea will I don't know I don't know what it is that uh, that that um, helps me to decide that or that um, uh, plays a role in that decision making but uh, I, I I I've developed a knack I suppose to to tell whether a piece will will make it eventually or not mm -hmm. so, yeah that's really neat there's something magical about poetry yeah and. And like a piece of artwork, it's subjective. So you can get a couple of different meanings or everybody can kind of get a sense of what they get from it and or pull something different from it. And I think that's a lot of fun. You have a lot of wiggle room in poetry and it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Well, um, and to that end, the, so I guess the theme that I got from these was sort of relationships, um, that you are writing about relationships in a way, you know, the grocery relationship with the woman in the grocery store, the relationship with your daughter, and sounds like a potential spouse, maybe not your daughter, but anyway, in the, in the, in the poem itself for big. So do you have any, um, insight into what you were wanting people to feel or get from these poems? Well, I, well, I can tell you maybe piece by piece so the elusive avocado one um i love that title by the way the elusive <laughs> avocado well well elusive i chose that word on purpose because well you you notice that schopenhauer is in there uh there's a reference to arthur schopenhauer who was a philosopher in the early mid to mid 19th century and um i've read a few of his essays and <laughs> i mean 
he reminds me a lot of Woody Allen in the sense that I mean his his take on life is that it's it's like full of misery and it's just <laughs> a series of one hardship after another hardship conflicts and um it's it's basically hell I don't know if you remember that uh, <laughs> do you remember that um was it Annie Annie Hall yeah it's one of my favorites I enjoyed that one yeah he goes back into the past and, and there's a 10 year old character in school um uh, complaining to the teacher that he can't do his homework and and he says well what's the point i mean you, we know that the universe is going to end uh, in, a f- in a in a few million years our, our galaxy will right. collide with andromeda and then that, that will be the end of it <laughs> and, and and when you read um a lot of schopenhauer you get it's it's almost the same it's like what's the point and uh but there is actually he did he did grow up and he did uh, a fair amount of reading himself and and he um, he got acquainted with Upanishads which is the um, the religious writing of the Brahmins in India hmm. and and he came to the conclusion that well you have to um, if it's our inner biological desires that that cause a lot of these conflicts and hardships then you have to learn how to deny these these tendencies and without mm. of course without giving up on the pursuit of of the beautiful and the true in life and 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 i think this is the key that i wanted to um kind of uh, insert into the poem that uh the main character the persona has has this idea of what he wants and and to him it's the ideal avocado, right? The the elusive avocado. And sometimes in life, you, the what's elusive is, is something that you cannot you cannot grab hold of, mm-hmm. and that's what life is like. But you shouldn't give up, and that's what he um, does in the end, or doesn't do. Mm. He doesn't give that's up. That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's terrific. I love that. That's subtlety. You know, that word kind of means something to me. This is strange, but I'm going to connect it here. So there. There was a pink color that we used to love in our house. It was called elusive blue. And it's that blue that's just faintly there, just the the faintest hint of it and the suggestive. And I like that because it's it's the in the fine detail of what is there and what isn't there. Like you said, you know, finding that perfect the the perfect ripeness of the avocado, which is really neat. So it's finding this perfect blue and that is uh, just subtle. <laughs> Right, That's right, and, or, or the yeah, the, or that that perfect green, like from from the Great Gatsby, you know. Yeah, How, and <laughs> with all the while, all these conflicts going on, and and in the poem, of course, you see a lot of these dualities and conflicts with the Iron Curtain dividing East and West when it comes to the hockey, and uh, the two characters meeting in the store, one being concerned more with rules, and the other more about his his ideal, and uh, yeah, so that's. Interesting. That's that. Um, should I say something about the next one? Sure. Uh, big. Yeah. <laughs> well, as as the title says, metrically speaking, I mean, the world, the universe is a, is a very large place, and it has some big concepts as well. Hmm. But the question is, how do we live in that, and uh, how do we deal with that? And I think what I wanted to bring out is that there are some little things in life that we have to look at a little more closely and take them one at a time. And, and it's these little things that make up 
the truth of our lives and the truth also in terms of relationships and you could even save a relationship or preserve a relationship or uh, work on a relationship and in this this case it's the relationship between the the persona and his daughter and um, I think that's it's more or less what I wanted to interesting I would say also you have the um, in the white space in the space that you didn't say you have the relationship between the parents right the, the main character and his you know, significant other. So yeah, I really enjoyed all your work and that, um, I, the subtlety of it was quite fun for me. Agree. And it's fun to kind of hear the background. You see such depth within the words and mm-hmm. you can just keep digging deeper and the lines are so powerful. They're packed with so much. So that's, it's really fun to dig into. Yeah. Well, and then the last one, so that one was on music and well, to me, that was a much more enjoyable poem. It was just a reflection is the way I, what I took from it. But, um, what would your what's your take on on that one? And also the music, like there's a deep tie into the music there. Yeah, that's true. Um, what I tried to say is that sometimes, despite certain realities, you have to act in a certain other way. And well, the fact that that um, we get lost sometimes in this illusion that life life is always the same or the constancy constancy mm-hmm. of life, and sometimes we're pretty much powerless under this, um, this reality and there's nothing much we can do about it. And, um, yeah, I suppose the only thing to do or that we can do is just to go with the flow and, uh, Mm. play with this illusion, become, become aware of it. This is what I tried to do with the, the illusion of, um, the sound illusion, the, the, the what do you call them? Homophones that, uh, I tried to liven up the, the piece with the, uh, Mm. um, the loneliest monk and the loneliest monk right, sound right. exactly the same. And to me, this was a reference to, yeah, it, it seems that things are the same or there's this permanence, but in reality, there is no permanence in life. Things go on and, and you just have to take them as they come, you know, and to learn yep. to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. Hmm. Cool. Another thing, yeah, you mentioned the music, the, the jazz music and, and, and walking, through um, this wonderful spell of, of weather that we had. By the way, that, that's based on uh, something that really did happen. I mean, it, it went from one weekend to the next. It went from the ice on the fields, children taking out their skates and skating, to seven days later, sunshine, 15, 20 degrees, and people out in their shorts and T-shirts right, throwing Frisbees. Right. right. That's 20, 20 degrees Celsius for our U.S. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I keep forgetting that. <laughs> but that's an example where something suddenly happens like that out of the blue, in this case, triggered by by nature. And there's nothing we can do about it uh, except enjoy it uh, as it comes, as as I was obviously doing with my yeah. music and my, uh, my walk and um, try not to... Um, despair over other things that that you can't do anything about like a teenage daughter who uh gets lost in her animes and mangas uh, <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> uh, that's great Are, do you ever write and find that you're teaching yourself something or in these pieces did you learn something about yourself you just bleed onto the page i have seen a quote where it says that writers sit down at a typewriter i'm not sure if i like this not a typewriter but at the computer and you just let yourself bleed that's kind of a disturbing image to me but I feel like poetry kind of 
goes along with that idea where you yeah. might learn something about yourself because the words just flow onto the page and they might be surprising. Yeah, that um, I guess I'm, I must have been a very romantic person who used that uh, terminology. <laughs> but for me, I think for me, that brings me to the question of consciousness. And, and uh, I don't know how, how you guys think in normal uh, circumstances. Do you, do you have words or full completed sentences in your mind when you think about an issue or a topic or yourself? Because I don't. Yeah, I think it hmm. varies. For me, it, it is. It's sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. an, a, just a feeling or pieces of words or even a picture, you know, type of a type of a thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think in terms of images and emotion, most yeah. of the time, and very rarely does a, a full, a fully completed sentence uh, enter my mind. And I think the act of writing, and in this case, formal writing, because to me, poetry has become very formal and i like that it's a challenge for me um what it does it just it helps me think better and form an idea of of who i actually am and um that's that's what the writing does for me yeah Hmm. that's great fascinating everyone is so different i love it um well so are you reading a lot of poetry do you have places that you go to find poetry yes i i read a lot of poetry um, well, reading, as, as everyone would agree, is, is engaging with a writer's mind. And um, for me, that's always been a fascinating form of communication. Um, just to be able to, to sit there at a distance, time-wise and, and um, spatial distance as well, and, and be able to, to, to form an idea of what someone else wants to say. But with poetry, I think the process behind or the process by which you can connect with a writer's ideas is a lot more mysterious. And um, I like the fact that sometimes you don't know why you like a piece or why you can latch on to an idea. It's, um, yeah, there's that mystery behind it that's really stimulating for me. Billy Collins is a writer, a poet, an American poet I really like. I've read a lot of his books over the years. He deals with the everyday with a wry, offbeat kind of humor that I like. Uh, Very similar to Wes Anderson's humor, uh, that film director I mentioned earlier. And um, I like the fact that he includes a lot of jazz references in his pieces. Um, that makes it a lot more playful and well, to me, poetry is, is a lot like jazz. I mean, when you think about it, the rhythm, the, the beat, the melody, the pictures you can form behind it's, um, you have a lot of this going on at the same time, um, both in poetry and in jazz music. So yeah, this reading him has been very inspiring the thing with poetry is that you can always um, slip a, a, a book in your backpack when you go off and, and uh, take it out in the in the subway and um, you don't have to try to remember where you left off in your novel yeah. <laughs> well, that's true <laughs> that is true yeah and it can inspire you yes yeah definitely 
So you're usually carrying around a book of poetry. Do you do you ever find anything online or any resources online that somebody might want to look into poetry could go to? Um, no, actually. Uh, when I submit to journals and magazines, then I spend quite a bit of time, as they suggest we should do, just perusing their, their last uh, issue and checking out the style that they're looking for. And then I... I Sometimes I discover some um, some interesting stuff, but that's um, again that's just uh, haphazard. It's um, yeah. I land on a journal and I start reading. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So I mean, are you getting these from the library or pre-COVID? You just go to the bookstore and wander the um, poetry section. <laughs> yeah, pre-COVID, I would just uh, well pre-internet. That's how it. <laughs> well, yeah, for everybody. <laughs> right. I don't want to mention any. I don't want to do any advertising here. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So, um, you know, with that last poem, you did have the, a lot of references to music um, and the syncopation and various things. Is music important in your life, and or do you play an instrument? Well, when I came to Germany, I um, I taught myself to play the guitar, uh, finger picking and classical mostly i have a wow. classical guitar and a steel string just and taught yourself that's yeah a, that's really neat well I, i'm strictly paint by numbers i know melissa you do a, a bit of painting don't you i do yes i yeah, love and, to paint yeah and you, you you probably do the real thing it's just you don't you don't go for these number uh number <laughs> canvases right and fill in with color but that's that's how i play because i i usually have i order the music I, I study the piece measure by measure. I make sure yeah. I get the fingers doing the correct thing for that measure before I move yeah. to the next measure. But I don't mind. I'll never play in a jazz combo. Uh, I'll never <laughs> improvise. Um, but you I'm satisfied know. with that. Yeah, well, no, I, I'm satisfied with my my, um, my dogged style. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it keeps me, yeah, it keeps my mind off things sometimes. And I, and I like, I think it, it keeps a part of your mind busy that maybe you wouldn't use um, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in other situations. And so when you're doing that kind of form of music and art, I think that a part of my brain shuts off and I can just automatically go. And it's a really relaxing thing to do to let your mind rest, but you're still enhancing it in some way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that. And I think that's great. that's great. Yeah, well, I think music, drawing, painting, all the arts, I mean, they use that right side of your brain, you know, and just, it lets that creativity kind of just grow. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, over the years, I've, um, I've just expanded my, my passive knowledge of music as well. I've learned um, about so many jazz acts here in Europe. Germany has a very vibrant jazz scene. And of course, there's no question Germany has a history of music. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm drawn to that mm -hmm. um, genre as well, the classical and um, old Renaissance. And I discovered one um, lute player who was a contemporary of uh, J.S. Bach. But while Bach was in Leipzig, this lute player was in Dresden, in the court uh, of Dresden. And I've discovered just uh, an amazing collection of his music that uh, his name hmm. is um vice silvius leopold vice and that's just one example of uh, a composer that uh, of course growing up in in canada i'd never i never heard of, heard of i mean we always mm -hmm. had music in the family but it was more of the easy to listen to variety and um yeah 
And uh, as, as anyone who goes out and starts exploring, you know, I've, I've found and discovered a lot of good stuff. That's great. Cool. Yeah. Well, we are um, coming up on time already. I can't believe it. It's already been 30 so minutes. Uh, Melissa, did you have a question you were going to ask? It looked like you maybe were going to ask a question. I didn't mean to cut you off. I knew we were getting close to the end. So a lot of people out there don't really know a lot about poetry. So you can give a writing piece of writing advice in general if you have one. But those new writers or people that haven't really explored poetry, what advice would you give them starting out? Your your best writing resource when you're looking at poetry? Well, I think not really a resource, but I think my one piece of advice would be just hang on to a piece. And I've made the mistake of, um, of writing something and being so pleased with it. (laughs) So satisfied that just the next day or the two days later, I just had to send it out. I had to submit it to these journals and, and then days a few days after that i discover well wait a second that's not quite finished uh, there's yeah. something else i wanted to say with that and uh yeah. so I, i'd say just hang on to a piece let it sit let it let it lie on your desk let it do yoga let it just <laughs> simmer uh inside you for a while because it still has something to say and you probably still have something to say as well yeah. i love that like tree branches when you said that i just pictured this little tree just growing its branches on the desk so i think that's yeah. great that's cool we'll uh leave it at that then that's a good way to um wrap up the show so francis thank you so much for submitting your beautiful poetry and being on the show and we're so happy to have you well many thanks for for taking these poems on and um i'm just happy they they found a good home great yes well i think you're going to be an inspiration for some people who haven't quite dipped into poetry all right well that that uh that makes me happy yeah (laughs) great Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends, giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app, or better yet, shout it from the rooftops through your social media outlet of choice. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine, edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new stories to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story for consideration, visit the submissions page on our website. Until next time, keep reading and writing.